Changing the world of work isn't about tactics. It's not about meetings or metrics. It isn't about the benefits, perks, or opportunities. It's about being brave enough to put love first. Everything rises and falls on leadership. So as leaders, we're the ones who have to make it happen. This is the Love in Action Podcast. And here's your host, Marcel Schwantes. From the scenic city in the lush and beautiful Chattanooga, Tennessee. Welcome, Love in Action Nation, and wherever you're tuning in from around the world. You're now part of a growing conversation and movement about this shift we're experiencing in the workplace and in leadership that has us evolving from principles of fear and micromanagement and bureaucracy to these new tribes and cultures springing up all over the world where love, care, and trust are foundational for success. And today, I sit down with Dr. Carol Granis. She is the Chief Self-Esteem Officer for Self-Esteem Brands. Self-Esteem Brands is the parent company of the Anytime Fitness franchise system. So shout out to Anytime Fitness members. If you work out in a gym, and that's your gym because they happen to be the fastest growing franchise in the country right now. So Carol has over 28 years experience in the fields of human resources, training and development, and employee engagement. She founded her own company called Leading Edge Coaching and Development, where she goes out and teaches and coaches leaders in federal, state, and local government and Fortune 500 organizations. Carol is a sought-after speaker, a lecturer, and a facilitator for groups all over the world. She is just an all-around great person and a kindred spirit. So let's dive in. Here's my conversation with Dr. Carol Granis. Okay, so I'm here with Carol Granis. Carol, welcome to the Love in Action podcast. Thank you. I believe that we are kindred spirits, Marcel, from another lifetime. I agree wholeheartedly. So I always start every podcast with this question. What makes you smile when you get up in the morning these days? I love that question because mine is, it really is sounds silly, but driving to work because at 8 a.m. every morning, I do a meditation with whomever will join me. And so I lead a meditation and it always makes me super happy that I'm going to get that space. And it's a perfect way to start the day. Yes. It gets you centered, doesn't it? For sure. Mm, okay. So, okay. Before we dive into the research on vulnerability uh, let's start with your unusual job title, Carol. You are Chief Self-Esteem Officer. What exactly does that mean? I know. It's a great title. I uh, made it up myself, and sometimes I wonder, why did I do that? Because when people see the title, you know, it's, it's good for some jokes and riffs, but here's the deal. Our company, the mission is to improve the self-esteem of the world. Mm. And so we do that through our members and our franchisees at Anytime Fitness and Waxing the City, Basecamp Fitness. And so I said to our founders, Chuck uh, Runyon and Dave Mortensen, I said, how can we possibly help people in the world improve their self-esteem if our employees that are supporting our franchisees do not have that? So when you think about self-esteem, the way I describe it is that it is how you see yourself. It's your perception of self, either positive or negatively. And everything that happens in your life, every decision you make is through that lens of self-esteem. So while people know human resources, that's what our team does as well. But we are about operationalizing our four values, which are people, purpose, profit, and play. 
So it's a great title, but sometimes I don't have it myself. And so it's a great reminder of what am I doing to help myself and others. I didn't like it for a while. Like I created it. And then about six months in, I'm like, why did I do that? But now I like it. (laughs) Okay. So I brought you specifically to talk about vulnerability. So Webster's defines it like this as being capable of being wounded physically or mentally, open to persuasion, easily influenced, open to attack, assailable. When I read those things, every aspect of that definition, it scares me. I'm telling you. Yes. Negative connotations. And so it's no wonder the world sees the word vulnerability in in a context of very weak weak-minded people, something that you need to avoid if you're a leader. So in your own words, what's what's your definition of vulnerability? Oh my gosh, Marcel. So when I started the research on vulnerability, it was spurred by Brene Brown, of course, and her amazing TED Talk. And I just watched it and I thought, yeah, that's what I've seen in my career for 30 years about people either showing themselves. So vulnerability to me is self-disclosure. It is taking, is being courageous about disclosing a mistake, um, something personal about yourself that's hard, um, or an emotion. And so over my whole career, when I have seen leaders be vulnerable, like when they've shared an emotion, I noticed that in that moment of them sharing and having the courage to do this, there was a palpable, resonant feeling among the people in the room. Mm. And I've been noticing it with leaders that I have worked with in my consulting business, but even everyday people, when they have the courage to share something, perhaps that was hard that happened in their life, everybody leans in. And so I wanted to know in my research, why do leaders do that? Like it was, the question wasn't, um, do you or don't you? I actually researched leaders that I saw show vulnerability and I wanted to know why they did it and what that was about. Okay. Okay. So as you dug into the research and and the why of vulnerability, you probably saw the impact of it and you touched on it a little bit. It changes the atmosphere in the room, right? Can we talk about the benefits of it, especially in leadership and how to impact your teams or even work cultures for business outcomes? Share some of that. Yeah. Yes. So I learned in my research, and, it's, and it has been reinforced in my whole career in working with leaders and leadership development, that when a leader puts themselves out there and they show themselves a mistake, personal information, something that's hard to share, it builds trust. So in my research, one of the biggest um, outcomes of being vulnerable and disclosing yourself is trust. And I am a fan of Patrick Lencioni, everything Patrick Lencioni. So Five Dysfunctions of a Team, I think, is a pivotal read, and you must know it as a leader. And so he talks about trust as the building block of any successful relationship or team. And trust is, Marcel, do you remember in our, well, I'm going to say that we're almost the same age. I don't know. But in our career back in the day, trust meant, oh, I trust you're going to do a good job. No. Trust in Patrick's definition is that you believe the intentions of the people around you are good. So you don't have to act smart or amazing. You can show your vulnerability because they're with you and they want you to succeed. So trust is something that is a byproduct of showing vulnerability. Another impact is that people see you as human. When a leader says, I completely screwed up, I messed up, I'm so sorry, here's what I've learned, the people around them say, oh, I can mess up here. When you have a culture, I've worked in those cultures where you can't have 
you don't have trust and you're afraid to share that you've made a mistake. People hide things and it's toxic mm. and it starts people having competitive nature in between each other. It's awful. It's dysfunctional. So increased engagement and trust are a byproduct of sharing yourself. Okay. So self-disclosure, I'm back to those two yes. words that you said. Vulnerability is self-disclosure. And I'm telling you right now, if I'm a listener, I'm still kind of scared about self-disclosing. Can it backfire? I mean, can you be too Too vulnerable? vulnerable. Then it doesn't become a strength anymore. It becomes a liability for you instead. Yes. I would love every listener right now to think of someone that shows too much vulnerability where they're like, I'm so sorry. I made a mistake. I goofed up. I made a mistake. You stop having trust that they're a capable person or a leader. So there is a line where vulnerability is too much. And, and what I found in my participants, what they said was, because this question came up with every research participant, yes, if there's no solution. Like if I was a leader and I came into my team and I'm like, I got to disclose, I made a mistake, I did this thing wrong, we're screwed. And then, then you're still looking at the person, you're like, what? A leader that shares those things and says, here's what I've learned about it and here's what I'm going to do differently that's the pivot. That's the piece that's really critical. You have yeah. to know, like, what did you learn from it? There is too much vulnerability. And that is when the person is not competent in the role. I was just going to say, it sounds like you can't be vulnerable without humility. That's right. That is exactly right. And, and I'm telling you, Marcel, like the stories, like I have seen one of my favorite leaders, Nick Colucci, he was in front of 100 leaders from around the world in Miami, in a conference room years ago, sharing about how he messed up something in the strategic planning and how it got everybody a little bit off their own plan. And he apologized. He shared his admiration and love for the people in the room. He had like, his eyes were glassy, got kind of choked up. And here's this like cool Italian guy. Everybody was like leaning in from every country. And the Italians were like, it's all good. We show love too. So they loved it. But yeah, it's a worldwide phenomenon when people show themselves. Let's drill down into the research. Let's break down that model on disclosure that came out of your research. I love it. So I love that I even could use the heart shape in my research when I was working with my advisory committee. I'm like, can I use a heart in this? Or like, it's your model. So I did rounded theory is an approach where you look at the data and you create a model. And so my model starts with self-disclosure. And self-disclosure is either planned or unplanned. So let's talk about that. That is when a leader says, okay, at the next staff meeting, I'm going to share this story about how I completely botched something. And here's what I learned at it. Planned. Unplanned is when a leader shows a physical emotion where they didn't plan on, where they are sharing a story or something, they get a little choked up or their eyes get glassy. So there were two types of disclosure, planned and unplanned. And every one of my participants planned to share a story around self-disclosure or vulnerability. I was shocked by this. This was my biggest shock, which I thought it just crept up on them and they realized, oh, that was a good thing. Every leader, and it was all different disciplines, different industries said to me, yep, I plan to share myself. It is a strategy for me to share a story or something that I learned that was hard or to share a personal part of me. So it starts with planned or unplanned. And then in the moment of sharing, and let me also define that in self-disclosure, we've been talking about sharing a mistake sharing something personal from your past that's hard to share. There's also a third self-disclosure, which is being silly or humorous. Like being in the moment, which is a little bit what you said, Marcel, humility. 
like laughing at yourself or making fun of yourself in a way that everybody's laughing with you, <laughs> that is another way of self-disclosure. So when those three things are shown very clearly in the moment, that was the verbiage the participants used. People were in the moment. There was a sense of relief. There was connection and presence. Like I didn't realize those would be the words that would come up from my questioning to my, my participants. And they were totally present in the moment. It seems to me like not everybody's wired or has the capacity. So how do you yeah. teach this? How do you teach this to leaders? Yeah, so I'm a big fan of emotional intelligence and I've been teaching that for many years. And part of emotional intelligence is self-awareness, right? Knowing what you're good at and what you're not good at. And in that context of what you're not good at, sharing that, that's a little bit of self-disclosure. The way we teach it here, because we, in our culture here at Self-Esteem Brands, we need people to show up and learn and have trust with others. And so we have a few classes that are mandatory to take here. And one is receiving feedback. And there's an amazing book called Thanks for the Feedback. It was by three Harvard researchers that were brilliant that asked the question, why don't I take in feedback? So Marcel, think about that's a vulnerable thing when someone tells you you've messed up. Like Marcel, when was the last time someone told you you've messed up on something? Like in work or life, when was it? When was the last time somebody told me they messed up? That you messed up. Oh, no, that I messed up? I messed Probably up. yesterday yeah, with yeah. my son. Yeah, okay, me too. I'm a mother of three teens every day. So in that moment when someone tells you you've messed up, you can get defensive or you can be open to the feedback and be like, okay, tell me more. And that's uncomfortable. Mm. And that in itself is putting yourself in a vulnerable place to say, oh yeah, you're right. I screwed up and I'm so sorry. We need to have a culture where people are doing that with each other because that's the only way you learn. Getting feedback is a way you learn. And if you are defensive and you are close to it, you will stop learning. I tell a story here that I've been in this job for two years. And when I first got here, there was an amazing employee that was really smart, but he was so defensive and he would, he would never take feedback from his manager. And his manager's like, I've tried this, I've tried this. And he was a young person. So I met with him. I said, what is going on? Why can't you take it in? And he still was defensive with me. And then I said, if you don't drop down your defenses and take in this feedback, you won't learn. And if you can't learn, you can't work here. And we had to say goodbye to him. Ugh. And so I tell that story to our employees, like that is a major thing for you to be vulnerable. You're not going to be great at everything. So we talk about vulnerability. We talk about emotional intelligence. We talk about self-awareness. Maybe too much, but, <laughs> but we do talk about it. Okay. So... As listeners, as I'm, I'm trying to put myself in the shoes of a listener. Yes. And this doesn't come easy to everyone. Yes. And I have a pretty good idea as to why it's difficult for people to be vulnerable. Okay, I have some ideas, but I want to hear if my ideas line up with yours. Why would you say it's so hard for people? Well, one is culturally. Like we are born and we are raised into a culture about never let them see you cry and be tough and be great. We also are, are in a competitive world. We compete against each other. And so when I compete, I want to be great. And I don't want to. So I think it's culturally, like think of generations. Like I think my parents my, we did not grow up with talking about feelings, sharing mistakes, being vulnerable with each other. But I do that with my kids and I want them to have that sense of, I can mess up, I can feel uncomfortable, but I'll learn. That's what life is about. Why do you think? It yeah, is? mine was fear is that I fear being vulnerable because if I am, how am I going to be perceived as a leader? Yes, yes, yes. 
Brene Brown talks about it as shame. Shame, like, yeah. Like when you put yourself out there in a vulnerable way and there's no reaction or connection, that is hard. Like it's real. So like imagine you have the courage to put yourself out there to share a mistake and then no one acknowledges it or rallies with you. That's really hard. I have an example here just happened where a team member of mine made a mistake. So she emailed. I said, I need you to own the mistake. What did you learn from it? So she emailed a group of people. And they're wonderful, loving people, but no one rallied back, like, thank you for saying this, or I appreciate you putting yourself out there. We're going to be fine. There was nothing. And then, then my team member's like, shit, I shouldn't have done that. I go, no, it was good that you did that. I'm sorry, I swore. Can swearing be in this? <laughs> <laughs> but my team member, I was proud of her to, for doing that. She's a young professional. I'm like, you figure this thing out where you can own your mistakes and learn from them. You're going to be great. I like that you said, can I swear in this? Mm-hmm. Is that one way of being vulnerable? Is just by, you know, being yourself sometimes? Yes, just... <laughs> for sure. I, have to, I feel like I've learned to swear too much in my culture here. I don't know what that's about, but I got to watch it. It is absolutely being yourself, for sure. Okay, okay. Okay, so I'm going to throw a question out that um, might rub people the, the wrong way. I hope not, but it's in relation to gender and vulnerability. So I've read studies Yes. where, you know, successful women embrace vulnerability as a powerful element of their success. And I'm not saying that men can't do it, but is it your understanding that self-disclosing comes easier for women than men, or is that just a myth? I feel like it's a myth, and here's why. For years, I've been traveling around in my leadership development practice with my business partner, and we've been working with executive teams, hundreds of executive teams. And in order to build trust and show vulnerability, we ask the team members to share the answer to three questions. It's from Patrick Lencioni's Five Dysfunction. Where'd you grow up? How many kids are in your family? And number three is, what is something that happened to you you in your youth that was really hard and challenging? And men or women, government, private, manufacturing, biopharm, pharmaceutical, all the industries, social worker, teachers, when asked that intentional question, men show up just as open as women do. But I don't think we give an intentional space for people to do that during the day. And I think that from the gender perspective, I think there's some cultural pieces of that, right? Men being strong, but I know of really, in fact, my boss, Dave Mortensen, cries more than I do, which I love. But he cries unhappy and sad. He was one of my research participants and he is so open and vulnerable that it makes the people he is around want to be that way too. Yeah. It doesn't make him a weak leader or, or perceived as weak. No, but it makes people make jokes about him and he laughs with them. <laughs> in fact, in my research with him, I said, do you know people like joke about how often you cry or what a wonderful heart you have? He's like, yeah, I know. I don't care. Cause that's good. I want us to be that way and be open and caring so that mm. it's good. Okay. Let me transition to the themes of love and fear. And so I want to get your thoughts on why we still find so much fear-based management styles in the workplace. I mean, why do people still lead with the iron fist instead of love and care and and being able to even be vulnerable enough to maybe express your feelings for others? Yeah. You know, I think about when I started in HR 30 years ago and my first CEO, Bud Bryan, was very vulnerable. And so I saw it at a young age, like, oh, this is what this looks like. He got emotional in front of 400 employees. 
And he got a little choked up and said, I'm so sorry, I made a mistake, but stay with me. So I've seen that. But the question on why is Iron Fist still working? I think it's because leaders are rewarded for their financial or sales outcomes. I coached a CFO years ago and he was so hard on people, would yell and scream and belittle them. It was awful. I was brought in by their board of directors to work with him. And when I got to know him, he was this very loving man, had three daughters. And I said, why have you been able to have this behavior? Because he said, I've, I've known my whole career, 20 plus years I've been this way. And I'm like, well, then why? Why? And he's like, because I keep getting financial results and I keep getting promotions and I keep getting rewarded. So I'm sure it's not that big a deal. And I'm like, yeah, it's a really big deal. So part of Marcel, I think, is that some leaders are rewarded for financial incentives that may go against this human emotional intelligence behavior, but it's only a short term. The research is clear that if I'm a leader with an iron fist and I'm like forcing and yelling, that will get some short term immediate results because people will be afraid and they'll be scurrying, but it's not long lasting and you will burn the person out. So I'm hoping we're getting savvier, like I do our executive recruitment here for the team members that join our self-esteem brands. Emotional intelligence are questions that I ask. Anyone that is coming into our organization that is a leader has some emotional intelligence questions around their self-management or how do they build relationships? How do they build trust with the people they work with? So I think it's because, back to your question, why is this still out there? Because there's not given feedback that that's not an okay way to behave. Yeah. And so we're rewarding the behaviors that we think lead to success and maybe yes. they, do, they do, but it's short term. It's funny because I brought in Thomas Chamorro mm-hmm. for music to talk about the detriment of um, hiring charismatic leaders and even confident leaders. It's not a bad thing that you do. There is charisma and confidence in every leader I know, but charisma turns into narcissism. Yes. which can destroy a workplace. And then confidence becomes overconfidence. Yes, that's for sure. Which becomes all about the leader and not the people that, that they're leading. And people can smile at a, like a mile away. Like a, a team can know in an instant if their leader is for the team or for themselves. And so Marcel, this is ego. So I have spent the last couple of years, because when I started this job, I was like, what is up with my brain? Like I'm either worried that I'm not doing what I need to be doing or that I'm so great and people need to get out of my way. And so I was like, what is happening as in my life and and these voices in my head? And so I started just, I seriously downloaded every book on ego I could and just started like sorting through the research, the definitions. And so we teach ego here because back to your piece, I think that is narcissism. When someone believes they are the most important, that their decision matters, they fight to the death to win an argument or win their way. That is their ego screaming loud and clear into their brain. And to me, we waste, organizations waste a lot of time because people are in their ego feeling, I am superior to you or I am inferior to you. And one of the big shocks to me is that ego can be superior or inferior. It is the voices in your head that say, I suck. I do not know what I'm doing. I teach a class, you have to attend, an ego last week. And there was maybe, I don't know, 80 people in the audience. I said, raise your hand if you've ever had the thought, I suck and I have no idea what I'm doing. Everybody's hand was raised. Raise your hand if you've ever had the thought, I am so great. These people around me are incompetent. 
everybody like raise your hand. I'm like, it's okay. We're Minnesota nice here. So we're like only had a half raised, <laughs> but it's still there. And I think we spend a lot of energy on it. So my goal was to teach people what is that voice and to shut it down because it's getting in the way of us doing our best work or sharing ourselves with each other. And it even goes back to vulnerability. I will not be vulnerable. It's a voice in my head says, if you share that thing, people will think you're an idiot. I didn't know it was tied to my research. This is just in the last couple of years I've been learning about that. Mm. Okay. So um, my colleague, Renee Smith, the founder of A Human Workplace, and I decided, and by the way, she is uh, three or four episodes ago. If, if listeners, if you want to go find that, Renee Smith. And we agreed that we're going to conduct research to find out how to decrease fear and increase I love, love at work. Love and it. so listeners, Carol and I agreed that she's going to answer the same questions that our research participants answer. So you ready, Carol? I'm so excited. Yes. <laughs> Tell me about a time when you felt afraid at work. What happened? What did you do? And what did others do? My gosh, that's so good. I feel like I have a sense of fear every day. But the biggest one I would say was be about a month ago. And our staff, our team here had been going through some changes. And I was really fearful to acknowledge that we weren't doing the best we should be doing and that we had dropped a couple things. And so I decided to take a deep breath and remind myself that we do other great work, but I needed to acknowledge to my counterpart, who is my chief financial officer, who we, our teams work really closely together. And I needed to have a convo with him and say, I know that we're dropping the ball. I know that this is happening. And so I did that with him, but I also preempted in my strategy of when I'm afraid, I acknowledge it, but I preempt to my bosses and sent an email like, here's what's going on. Here's what we've messed up. And here's what we're doing. So the fear comes from a feeling of mess up or failure. But I seriously feel like I create a poster and let everybody know, I know I'm messing up too. Don't worry. And here's how we're going to fix it. Hmm. That's okay. real and, and recent for me. Yeah, yeah. So any other things, how that impacted, that experience impacted you personally or, or even your work routine or team? What were the um, effects of that fear? I would share that I'm very transparent with my team about feeling this way, like rallying my team together to say, okay, like I'm feeling nervous about this X, Y, Z, and we messed up on this. We got to bring it. We got to fix it. And so I try not to show so much nervousness to them back to that question. Can you be too vulnerable? Because I want them to know that I know we can get through this after 30 years and working in organizations, you know that there's mess ups, but I kind of have a, a sense and a wisdom that it will be fine and we will figure it out. So I have a sense of optimism that I'll share. And I also, I probably swirl about it too much when I'm driving home uh, at night and thinking about it, but then trying to remind myself it's all, it will all be okay. Hmm. We'll all be okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's being human. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So we flipped a coin and we ask our research participants this question. Tell me about a time when you felt loved at work. What happened? What did you do? And what did others do? Oh my gosh. So last week it was a hard day and I had to say goodbye to three people because their positions were being eliminated and mm. it was 
super sucky and they had been here for many years. And so I try to be human and loving in that moment. But you know, when someone says your job is eliminated, your brain is swirling. So, so did that with three people and the manager. And then they were going to leave for the rest of the day. It was for a future date. And I started crying. Our team was there and it, it was just like, that's a really sucky, hard day, right? Say the latter part of your question, Marcel. So it's what happened? What did you do? And what, what did others do? I started getting emotional in front of one of our IT managers. And I just said, I just, and this was back to like, I feel like we're not serving the way we need to be serving and I'm dropping the ball. And I just feel like it's so uggy. So he wrote, his name is Adam. He wrote me an email that day and he said, Hey, I just went to this ego class that was really good. And the, the facilitator said that when you feel down about yourself, it is your ego, your insecure ego feeling that way. And the voices seem, Carol, that they got really loud for you. But let me remind you of all the stuff you do well. And he like listed it and I'm, it's an email and I'm like crying as I'm reading the email. He showed love. He was right. My brain was swirling from an insecure self. So one of the things I love about working here is there are a many, many moments of love here. In our work and what we do with our franchisees and our members and changing their lives, there are many stories of love. And so I get, I'm pretty lucky about around that. So in that instance that you described, what was the impact of that loving experience on you personally or on your work? It lifted me up. It like, I got a deep breath and I was like, yep, you're right. I've done some good things and I'll mess up again, but it, it's okay. I got it. And so I saw him the next day and gave him a huge hug. Like, and I emailed him back the best email ever. I sent it to my team. I'm like, let's us remind ourselves of the good work we're doing every day and the good fight we have. So it brought me out of my insecurity. It was wonderful. Mm, yeah. Excellent. Yeah. So I'm going to transition to the last two questions. I wish we could talk for hours because this is, this is such a great topic. But before I do that, is there any question I should have asked that I didn't? Mm. I love when you asked about why is vulnerability so hard and so difficult? And it leads to the question of like, how do people become more vulnerable? Just try it. Try it and see what happens. Because I promise you'll get a connection and you'll make somebody like realize, oh God, if they could share that, I could share this. Yeah. Okay, so speaking of sharing, yes. personally, what, what's really tugging at your heart right now that you would like our listeners to know? Mm. I have a tattoo that I got last year when I turned 50. Tell it's, us what that is. It says, show love. And so for years, I would teach leaders, this is why we are connected, Marcel, to show love to people that they work with by acknowledging them, by caring about them, by asking how they are and understanding who they are as a person. But when I got this last year, it was to show love to yourself. Like, oh, show love to yourself. Like in the airplane, when they say the oxygen mask will come down, you have to help yourself first before helping others. And I know of loving leaders that show love to others and care about others. But I'd love the listeners to ask themselves, how much love am I showing myself? How many times do I give myself the benefit of the doubt? Or I reward myself because I did something great. Like we're really, really, really hard on ourselves. So if we could shift it a little bit, show love to yourself, you'll be better aligned to show love to others. Really? Yeah. It's amazing. That's really important, Carol, because like you said, you can't possibly extend love out to yourself unless you love yourself first. We don't think about that in our day to day. You know, we, we go to work and we never think about taking the space and the time to say, wait a minute, how am I loving myself today? Yeah. 
Yeah, our pledge here, and if every leader can think about this, how are you helping your employee be a better person in the world? Not just a better worker at your organization, but a better person, a better father, a better mother. That's what our CEO asks us. How are we helping people be better in the world? Like, I want the experience of people working here at Self-Esteem Brands to be like, oh my God, it changed my life. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Okay. I want to end this by giving you the mic (gasps) and you bring the conversation home your way, whether it's a mic drop moment or something amazing that you want to share. What is it that one thing (gasps) that people can walk away with today that's going to make a difference in their lives? Okay. Here's what I I love move to action. So here's my challenge to everyone listening at your next team meeting, whether it's four people or 14 people, I challenge you to do the personal histories exercise. And that is everyone goes and takes the turn answering three questions. Where'd you grow up? How many kids are in your family? Where'd you fall in birth order? And the third is share something that was challenging to you in your youth that helped you be the person you are today. So a little rule of that. You as a leader, you go first and you are going to practice vulnerability. Your number three, you might not want to share if you've killed a person, that might be too much, but your number three should be something that makes you uncomfortable because you're being really vulnerable. And you're going to share and it's going to be a reverent space, I promise. And then the next person will go and they'll share their three things. And I promise the tenor and resonance and relationship of your team, even if you've worked with people for years and years, will change. We do this exercise all the time here. We share with our franchisees around the world all the time we do this exercise. And my favorite is my team member, Justin, who said I could share this example. We did the personal histories on an experienced team that he was working on. This was last year. And at the end of the experience, he said, dang it, I really like these people now. (laughs) And can you imagine how it is when you like someone and you're having a conflict with them or you're having a difference of opinion, you listen more, you give a benefit of the doubt. And that's what makes teams great. So that's my challenge to our wonderful leaders. And we'll leave it right there. Carol, it's been fun. It's been deep, insightful, and I've learned from you. Me too, to you. Thank you so much. Absolutely. How do people get in touch with you if they want to learn more? And are you available out there? Where can they find you? I am. I got to get better on social media, but I am on Twitter. I have an Instagram that my daughter gave me. I also am carol.granis at sebrands.com. And I love getting emails and connections from people. I got to get better social media though, Marcel. Got to figure that out. I have a person that can help you with that. Okay, good. Let's talk (laughs) after. Excellent. Hope to chat with you again soon. Thanks so much. All right. Thanks everybody. So that was a fantastic conversation. I hope you enjoyed it too. So here's what's on my mind in respect to that chat with Carol Granis. Don't fear vulnerability. Don't be afraid of it. Any idea of it being too soft is a lie. It's just a lie. Remember, soft is the new hard. So we need to stop calling it soft skills because they're hard skills. And that's why people don't practice things like vulnerability and authenticity and saying what you mean and being emotionally honest because they're afraid. It's a hard thing to do, especially in the workplace and especially as a leader, but we need it and we need to do more of it because vulnerability is self-disclosure. It's being courageous about disclosing a mistake or an emotion that's hard but needs to come out. 
Because when leaders share an emotion and are vulnerable in that moment, Carol says, there's a palpable, resonant feeling among the people in the room. So when they have the courage to share something hard, everyone leans in. So what's the why of vulnerability? Well, it comes down to one word, trust. It builds trust. Thanks for listening, Love and Action Nation. Here's a couple of reminders to help you in your leadership journey. I mentioned the research that Renee Smith and I are conducting. We're collecting 500 stories of love and fear in the workplace. I mean, why are we doing this? Because stories teach us a better understanding of the harmful norms that are still so prevalent and that so many of us are still working under today. And so this helps us to learn what works and what doesn't. And your story is going to help us convince leaders and teams of the importance of being human-centered and show practical ways of doing just that. So if you want to contribute your story of love and fear, here's how to do it. Go to my website at marcelschwantes.com, or if you prefer, leadershipfromthecore.com, and click on the Story Portal tab. Next week, I sit down with the one and only Sally Helgeson, renowned leadership thinker, executive coach, speaker, and author of How Women Rise. See you next time. And don't forget, love in action is what will truly set your leadership apart. Try it. Hey, Love in Action Nation. If you're enjoying the format of the show and the topics we talk about, and you want to bring this conversation to your company event or conference, I would love to explore the possibilities. Whether it's speaking or moderating a live discussion or a Q&A panel, or even producing a series of podcasts before and after your event, let's talk. You can reach me by email personally at marcel at loveinaction.club. That's Marcel, M-A-R-C-E-L, at loveinaction.club.